Hey, everybody. I'm Rob Richardson, CEO of Disrupt Art, the Web3 platform leading intersection, impact, and culture. Join me here on the edge of NFT. Keep listening. We're going to talk about the disruptors, the thinkers, and the builders of the future. Join us. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how selling badass bears helps make the bear market more bearable. And where to go for sweet deals on private islands. And how festivals co-created by fans and talent are already happening right under our noses. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put together a little gathering at NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode features Rob Richardson, the co-founder and CEO of Disrupt Art, a global marketplace, studio, and technology company created to revolutionize the impact of art, music, fashion, and film. Rob is also the founder of Disruption Now Media, a platform that connects entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders through interactive events, educational content, and podcasts. The Disruption Now podcast hosts conversational podcasts with disruptors focused on impact. At the intersection of art and activism, Disrupt Art aims to curate an interactive space for artists, collectors, and activists to revolutionize the impact of art. Artists sell their pieces as NFTs, receive a majority of the funds generated, and always earn a royalty for their work. The Disrupt Art vision is to create a community where spoken word artists, musicians, entrepreneurs, photographers, and crypto artists intersect, creating dialogue about social impact, contemporary art, and the blockchain. Rob, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Getting ready to make some disruption today. Always. How are you holding up, Rob, after uh, Midwest Con? We had to take a good <laughs> month of uh, to recover from NFTLA. We're still recovering. Yeah, yeah, I'm still recovering too. And it was definitely, it took me a week to try to get back some, just some stable sense of myself and ourselves. It's a lot to throw a conference, but it was definitely worth it because, I mean, that's led to so many other opportunities. But it's definitely not for the faint of heart. It is very hard to do a, to, to do any type of large-scale event. Kudos, but yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, similar to podcasting, it becomes an addiction, right? Like you just do it. You just get up and you just do it again, you, do. you know, and you just, you know, you forget all the pain that went into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have some unique points, obviously being in a bear market, which I know we're going to get to in a minute, but also the fact that we're in Cincinnati, which is not, you know, you're in LA, which the, I guess the harder part is you have more competition, but you're the center of entertainment in the world. When people think of Cincinnati, they don't necessarily think of those things, but the opportunity is that we really surprise people with the level of culture and the art we had there. The fact that we had our mayor come and talk about working with us, the fact that we had an event at an art school 
that was a really different vibe. It was more like a lounge club feel for our conference than it was a like a stiff conference. Our goal was to really be intentional about curating a different experience that could be unique to our conference. And I know we accomplished that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're not about stiff conferences either. I think, you know. <laughs> that wasn't the NFTLA. You guys were stiff. That was to somebody else. Another place that begins with NFT and I won't finish the sentence. <laughs> there, there you go. No, it's all about a cultural experience, right? Exactly. And, you know, you got to have fun in life and work. And if you're not having fun, what's the point? So that's really cool, man. I heard great things about it. And we'll have you there um, next year. Look, it'll be worth it. You got to come. We had lots of people from LA. You got to come. We'll, we'll make it happen. So listen, uh, Disrupt Art, it's really taken on a quite an important vision, you know, where artists of all forms can intersect and, and make a big impact in the world. Where did all this come from? What was the culmination of this vision and concept for you? It really comes from just who I am and who I've been my entire life. So the focus of my entire career before I even knew what crypto was, NFTs were, any of that is all been about how can I use my voice and to really help change other people's lives and really have systemic change. Those things are important to me because of really how I grew up. To make a long story bearable, I definitely had an overall very good childhood. Like I, it's not a sob story in that I grew up poor or any of that. That's not the story you're about to hear, right? <laughs> so, but the story you will hear is that I did have some challenges. I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD, which is really a learning difference, not a learning disability. But back then they just thought if you had any trouble in school, if you were hyper, you were just, you know, a nobody. You just were somebody that didn't care about school. You were lazy. You know, you combine that with likely my skin color. I grew up in a place that was definitely, it was more white than black. So I had teachers that might've been culturally insensitive, but even though I sucked as a student until about the eighth grade, at the eighth grade, like my, the light bulb went off and I just said, look, I want to start applying myself. And I had a conversation with my teacher at the time and I'll never forget the conversation. I told her, all of my dreams and aspirations to change the world and the light bulb, it just, I just found it. And she basically tried to crush that, <laughs> crush that dream was like, look, Rob, you're an awful student, basically is what she said. And college is not meant for everybody. Like, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but like, you're not going to be able to do that like this. And so luckily I had a much better conversation with my parents. <laughs> and again, my mother said these words that stick with me to this day. She said, look, Rob, you never have to be defined by anyone's low our narrow expectations of you, you define yourself for yourself by yourself. So despite what this teacher said, my counselors, lots of people tried to give this whole long lecture about how I was going to fail, how this is a bad idea to put me in challenging classes. Seriously, it was a thing. But I never let that define me because I had strong backing and I've had lots of opportunities and success. But I know that story turns out differently for so many others who I like to say are defined or confined by the narratives and the constructs, the things that are in place in front of them, they think that's the only place they can go because that's what the world tells them. My goal in life has always been to help empower people, be it through coming up with better systems for education, uh, better ways to move technology. So before I was actually very involved in public policy and politics, I won't bore you with that, but I ended up pivoting and, and getting into entrepreneurship. And when I learned about Web3, through my entrepreneurship with Disruption Now and having these events with artists and creators and entrepreneurs, I not only wanted to took the deep dive into the space, I realized it was very important to actually own technology to help influence this space. Because even though we're in a decentralized technology, platforms are still going to be the spaces that move opportunity for people. Platforms still matter. And I think it's very important to have that. So that was the 
Genesis and the reason. This is just a, another application to my passion in life, is which is about empowering people. Thank you for sharing that, man. And I think there's so many times that us crazy entrepreneurs have been told no, and it's just the fire. It's the fire <laughs> exactly. that just you know culminates from our bellies. Like you know, I came from a fairly poor neighborhood, and you know, single mom and you know, there's a lot of ways my life could have played out. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is just choice and conviction, but it also comes from supporting each other's dreams. So absolutely, so really love what you said there. Absolutely. Yeah, really inspiring stuff and identify with that too. You know, my mother, from a very young age, my mother always talked about how she had dyslexia and that was yeah. the thing with her. She was also, la- you know, go way back to the, you know, the 40s and 50s where <laughs> she grew up. She was left-handed. You know, in a Catholic school. Oh, oh my oh, wow. goodness. Oh. Like, oh, you know, God. You, I can't imagine that. <laughs> that. That was the problem, right? So I've always had a very strong sense of what you just described of like, even though I actually did relatively well in academia and school, just that sense that there were all these other ways for all sorts of different minds. You Absolutely. Know? That's been a huge theme for me. So great to hear you call that out and be working so diligently there. Well, let's talk about an experience like of an artist that works with disrupt art. What is the process like if they're just getting into the space? How do you kind of guide and work with them? So like our goal is to make this as easy as possible to onboard into this space, be it for the collector or be it for the creator. I think a lot of us in this space like to believe the process is easy. It's doable, but it's definitely not easy specifically for how people are, how their minds are geared towards having a very quick and easy experience. This is so we have to know that for us to get to mass adoption, it has to have the benefits of the Web3, but it needs to have as close to the experience as Web2, because if you're asking people for more steps, they're never going to get there. So what we work to do is, first of all, make sure artists understand what this is, how this works, what NFTs are and why and how it can be so transformative. I often figure out ways to explain it in a way that they can see it. And sometimes different things make the light bulb go off, right? I make them understand that people the same way people are talking about NFTs now as if you know they're not safe, they're fraud, is the same way people talked about social media 10 years prior. It's the same way they talked about the internet. And I said, so my question for you is, do you want to be Blockbuster who said no one's going to download and watch movies and they no longer exist? Or do you want to be Netflix where you can build off this work for the rest of your life and your kid's life? No guarantees, but this is the future. And those who are building at the infrastructure level have the greatest opportunity. So that's usually my pitch some way or another. And then we really try to walk them through a three-step process to really side on a disrupt art. You first, you create an account like you would at a social media account. You literally connect your wallet to your email, which gives you a, a quick code. Your wallet's connected. You can start minting and creating. Essentially, if you're a creator, we have to prove you for a creator because we are a curated site. But essentially, those are the steps. It doesn't require you to do all the other steps that are required people to onboard. So we make that process as easy as possible. We walk them through that. And we usually answer personal emails to walk people through the process if they have any questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And you, know, and you, you conveyed it too as kind of making Web3 you know, on the level of Web2. And I yes. think it also is not just that, but it's just those principles of of human design, I guess, right? Exactly. I mean, we saw all these things. You look at the genius of what Apple was a- able to achieve by saying, exactly. hey, let's just make sure you can make little gestures with your hand and pinch and point and whatever exactly. and make things happen in a very natural, intuitive way. And 
it's not just web two. It's just sort of what's the what's the way to get human intuition integrated and involved. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because again, I think a lot of us, and I've been guilty of in this space too. We just say everybody needs to do it this way because this is the best way. It needs, but the best way is whatever way the consumer understands it to get them there. That is the best way, not the way we think it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've referenced this throughout the conversation so far, but let's dive a little deeper on social impact and your goals and how you incorporate that into your ecosystem. Yeah, so it's important because all my career has been focused on that. So how we incorporate that. We tend to work with artists that resonate around that message. So a lot of our artists tend to give parts of their proceeds to social impact. And we actually seek artists out like that. In the future, in the very near future, we're going to build it in almost like a crowdfunding type of structure where you can then opt in to support a social impact. And some of your funds or additional funds will go towards supporting a social cause that is tied to either that artist or something that we as a platform support. Like it'll be some ways down the road, but do a DAO that will have a infrastructure that will put things towards social impact that the community will put up options for things that we want to support. Specifically, we have a few projects. So we have uh, one project, which is the Badass Bears project, which is a project that we've done with Jim Jones. There's a lot of cool features to the project. It's a build a bear project. Everybody that has access that gets one of these bears gets into all of our events, Midwest Con. We we have activations at Art Basel. We know that we usually let them in VIP access. But part of the future vision beyond like building your own bear and having different custom bears and things like that, which is kind of like build your bears using NFTs, the social impact is tied to actually helping returning citizens. So when I say returning citizens, I mean those who have who've been through our criminal justice system. And quick fact about this, just to go down this rabbit hole for one second. The United States, we have more people in prison than any other nation in the world, more than Russia, more than China, any other nation, authoritarian nation that you think we have more people within our system than them. We spend an extraordinarily amount of money on locking people up, which drains money, drains resources, it ends up draining talent and opportunities for people. So, and even those who have served because they should serve because they've committed an act that they have to be responsible for, we as a society need to be able to integrate people back and not dehumanize them to audition for humanity for the rest of their life. This is important because it's a project that's tied to the original artist of Badass Bears, which is Jim Jones, the artist, the, the rapper. His uncle served a lot of time in prison, but always would connect with these bears. So he had the vision of creating these bears as a fashion line 20 years ago. And so we wanted to use this technology to help actually organize more people around understanding this concept. So we we work with the Reform Alliance, the largest criminal justice reform organization in the United States, like Jay-Z is a part of that, Meek Mills and others. And the CEO works with us. And we literally have awareness events for returning citizens and we're doing some other things. But the point is, I believe that the best use of technology is its ability to connect people. And when you can connect people you can create change faster. That is, I think, the beauty of blockchain technology because it breaks down barriers, breaks down financial barriers, it breaks down global barriers, frankly. And that is what we saw with Disrupt Art, being able to do that intentionally. One more example is that we have artists that are global. So we have a couple artists that are actually out of Nigeria. And this artist sold some of his work for like 100 flow, which is $200 roughly, right? USD. Not a lot of money, relatively speaking, for in the United States, but in Nigeria, 200 USD 
is equivalent to like something like 60 or 70,000 of their dollars. So he would have had to work for like four or five months just to get that. And the government probably wouldn't have allowed him to do it. But we're literally breaking down barriers because we don't have gas fees, because it's easy for him to use it. And that's what really gets me up and excited, being able to think about things like badass bears. We can build the community there, being able to help global artists in a way where they wouldn't have these opportunities. That is the power of blockchain to me. Yeah, man. And, you know, well, social impact is near and dear to our hearts. It's something we incorporated into what we did earlier this year at NFTLA 2022. And it's something we're amplifying next year with our social impact track. It's headed up by Ariel Caputo, who's our head of operations and social impact in our company. And I think there's probably going to be some really cool ways we can collaborate on that. Some amazing things happening there. It's a great platform to raise awareness. Would love to explore that. So let's talk more about that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And shout out to Jim Jones. Shout out to Jim. You know, we met Jim, man, about a year ago, and he actually allowed us to debut his crypto song on our podcast, which was super fun. <laughs> and, you know, he performed at the last NFTLA. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was chuckling when you're like, we sometimes let those guys in. I'm thinking like, you know, if you got a beer that's really cool, you get in. But if you chose a beer with the wrong attributes, then you might have to wait a lot outside a little bit longer. No, we always let the we always let our bears in. It's really important. And there's a couple of things on this. So with the badass bears. As long as they don't have a yellow hat on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. But I say this because a lot of NFT projects, what they do is they use the projects to be able to tell what they're going to do to build the technology that they hope to build. We literally did the opposite. We have a full-scale NFT marketplace with very far advanced technology. And we did a PFP project for a few reasons, but that's not where we live. Like what we're doing is everybody, that might be our only NFT project we ever do, our PFP project we ever do. But those folks will get special benefits and exclusive uh, benefits because, you know, I believe those who are with me from the beginning should get the greatest benefits. So yeah, the bears that join us in the bear market, we're definitely going to give them a lot of benefits. That's awesome. You know, you touched on the importance of artists and the importance of community in, you know, some of the ways you're building community, but just to sort of go down that rabbit hole a little bit more, are there other specific techniques you're using to nurture the disrupt art community now or, you know, in the future? Yes. I mean, we're being really intentional about immersive in real life experiences. I believe it's very important in this Again, when we initially got into the space of NFTs, everything was about being digital, your digital avatar, so on and so forth. But the real power was that it doesn't replace us in person. Like, I don't believe that's the power. Just like I don't believe artificial intelligence power is like replacing humans. I believe augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence is the future, that it's an additional opportunity for us to expand our capabilities. And I look at NFTs as being another opportunity to, for us to expand connections right? We can have it online. That's part of it, but it doesn't replace the in-person experience. It doesn't, right? It's still, you still need that. And so what we do and what we're very intentional about is doing events that usually teach or they're immersive in some way where they get people to understand the concept of what NFTs are and what the possibilities are. So I'll give some specific examples. So we usually had, we didn't have an activation in NTLA. Maybe we will next year, but we had our, one of our first major activations at South by Southwest. And there we had David Bianchi. We had like six major like screens behind him. And you got a chance to see as he did at NTLA, he, he had his immersive spoken word and make people understand this is how it works. Then we had panels that we had NFT galleries. 
So that, that was like our first kind of experience. But then we started also doing regular events, smaller events to make people understand the basics of NFTs. And I have these in my city. That All that culminated to what we did at MidwestCon, which I think we became very good at this. So we did very, we're very intentional about creating these activations that make people have an emotional connection to what was happening. So we had a fashion show that was both the physical items, and then you would see the digital avatar walking to that person at the screen at the same time. And then you would see the digital wearable asset that was being sold as all as part of the fashion show. And then people really got the light bulb then, right? And then I made them understand that this is a way, this is not just digital. This is a way that we're connecting the human experience even more. We're just using technology. And this is how you're creating like this kind of co-ownership with the artist and the person. So we made them understand that we had live airdrops. So we make it very easy on Disrupt Art again, as, as I think you have a side, you're signed up on our site already. If you go on there and you literally go to airdrops, you go to community airdrops, you can claim a Midwest Cod and FT to get free general admission. But all it takes is just hitting claim to your email. It's very easy. We do drops like that just to show corporations, brands, that this is not some, it doesn't have to be some foreign hard concept or take a bunch of different steps. This is, and we all work people into the process in a way during events that we're very specific about it. We also have music events. I know we're having a musical performance. Like we do that where people are engaged, having fun. So it's not a process where people feel like they're just here talking at a lecture. It's immersive. It's interactive. That I've found has been the most successful for onboarding people. We definitely talk to them. We do education, but actually doing things that are tangible at that time during the experience are things that we continue to do. And we're going to do, we're going to likely do something with that at Art Basel as well like that. Very cool. Very intentional. And, and also like we talked about earlier, very focused on, you know, call it the user or, you know, whatever, right? Making sure we think from their mindset and their level and kind of onboarding in a very intuitive, gentle, you know, purposeful way. I love that. As we mentioned previously, we talked about build a bear and, yeah. and we're talking about building in a bear market as well. <laughs> so. We've seen a bit of what's going on, right? Sure. When we go around to various conferences, went to Davos, it was really interesting to see what the scene was like there. Tell us a bit about your experience, quote unquote, building a bear or building yeah. a bear market or whatever you <laughs> want to say. Yeah, I like that. Good fun. Building the bear market, making a bear market bearable. I don't know. What <laughs> There's a lot of ways to go about this. So we've always had like overcoming adversity, as Josh, we talked about, is nothing new. Being African-American is something that, you know, people, and I don't use it as a limitation for myself, but some people who this, that's how people are. They have a set their mind about what somebody that's in technology should look like in their experiences. And that's a fact that you do have to overcome. So even during the quote unquote bull times, people weren't necessarily like, oh, this makes sense. And ironically, we're having more opportunities in the bear market. And I think it's because I'm used to adversity. Like at the end of the day, I haven't, nothing's come like in a straight, linear, easy line for me. So when things aren't like going according to the plan, I just think it's normal. So like the bear market is just a normal day to be. So like, it's just, okay, so now how do we figure out more opportunities to, you have to have enough income. So I look for ways to figure out, well, how do I monetize? How do I monetize enough to make sure we come out of this? And so I mean, I go back to what I know. I mean, I've done a lot of community organizing. I did politics. And so I've been working with some of our local leaders, our state leaders, to get them to understand the opportunity in this moment and why they should be investing right now. I make people understand that 
Amazon was built during the same talk that people are talking about Web3 right now is that if you look back and you were to rewind time and you go back, whatever, 20 or 25 years, I'm trying to remember the economist's name, but I can't remember his name, but he won a Nobel Prize. So he was a big economist. Mm -hmm. And he said, the internet is not going to have any more effect on the economy than the fax machine, right? And now you hear people saying the same things about NFTs because they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand the technology. And so like, I understand the technology and my goal is to make sure that others see this opportunity and why they need to invest in it and just find ways to pivot. And we've had to pivot several times. So building the bear market to me is just like building a, bull, a bullish market. It's That wasn't easy for us either. Like no one was just throwing, even though we built literally, people have built, have gotten funded off of ideas. We have a whole infrastructure built, right? And so we are like, you know, we don't use that to why. We just say, hey, it's a bear market. And those people, I think they never, some people never even got their product up and got $2 million to fund. We're like, right. okay. And we built. So now I think those who have built technology, those who are serious, have an opportunity to really separate themselves. So I see it as an opportunity. It hasn't been easy, but I think people in the space, the ones that are serious, and I saw this at BitWestCon when we had it, people are more excited about this than they ever were. So I'm yeah. not really concerned. I know how nobody can predict the future, but I'm very bullish on Web3 technology and feel very good about where we are right now. So that was, I did a little Googling because while well, you're talking and that was Paul Krugman. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. You know, and Paul's <laughs> alibi is that he didn't know a lot about technology. It wasn't his focus, but Clearly. yeah, you know, there's a lot of quotes on this show. I'm thinking about all the quotes I've had in my life. This is what happens when you make bold predictions. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But I want to stand on this. I am very confident that let's take this from the day and say this. NFT technology, Web3 will be one of the most impactful technologies that we've seen, and it will be commonplace within the next five years. People will not call it NFTs, but it will be integrated into entertainment, art, movies, and finance in ways we can't even predict yet, but it's going to have a massive explosion. 100% definitely agree on that. So put that market down. At this point is. in time, September 1st, 2022. We so we're going to keep this and make this an NFT later that we can all make a bunch of money off of. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> let's go, man. So as we look at you know the roadmap you know for Disrupt Art, for your projects, what's next, man? What do you got in the pipeline here that we should be thinking about? And also, you know, any partnerships, collaborations sure. that are forthcoming? Well, we're exploring a major one that I can't announce yet, but hopefully at Art Basel, we will see you there and I'll be able to talk to you all about it. And I'll make sure to invite you all there for sure. But our partnerships are, we're going to look like really helping brands in this space. So that's why it piqued my interest when you started talking about what you guys are doing with social impact, because essentially, because we've already built the backend technology, if someone wants to have, if a brand, a smaller brand, a medium brand wants to just have their own NFT marketplace, essentially, we can build that for them at a very low cost because we've already, we've already paid all the money for everything else. And our goal is to make it easy for brands to understand how to use this space and to use NFTs to make the experience super easy. So we're working with a lot of small to medium brands in fashion, as well as independent musicians and helping them really have custom marketplaces that can all be in their .com name and make it very easy for them to use NFTs. So they can just, if they want to do an airdrop to onboard people, a thousand people very easily, just by getting their email, we'll be able to do that with them. If they want to do their first drop, and it's tied just to their website. 
where people are used to coming on, we're going to be able to do that. And when they want to do secondary sales, they can obviously back in into our technology, which will also eventually be, it's already integrated with Rarible. It'll be OpenSea is coming because Dapper Wallet's already on there. So people will be able to be fully cross-chain. So our future is making it very easy for brands to onboard into this space. And then being cross-chain is the future. That's what we're going to be. Can't wait for it. Yeah, looking forward. Well, you know, looking forward to getting to know you as a human too in our next segment. But one last question first is, it's just like, as you're looking at the market and what's happened, you know, early days as well as more recently, what are some of the other projects that inspire you? Yeah, one project is VFriends. And for it's because it's, he's intentional about, again, I mean, onboarding people into the space, looking out for artists. And from what I hear from, which I didn't go to, the conference, the VCon conference, which hopefully I'll be there next year. It was a very good, like intentional experience where people were like left motivated. So I think Gary Vee does a really good job of, of that emotional component and also being intentional about curating his community. So that's a project that's inspiring for that reason. I'm trying to see who else. I think Foundation overall as a platform is doing a good job of looking out for artists. If I had to say another platform that I definitely admire in terms of, I think, how they're trying to curate and look out for artists. I mean, those are my main, beyond that, I like some individual projects. Like I love Nyla Hayes. I think people are underestimating the long-term value of one-of-one art. Like right now, people are caught up in, you know, the Board 8 Yacht Club. And obviously they did a great job in terms of marketing and being first to market to really innovate some of these ideas around intellectual property. But I think long-term, some of these artists that are like one of one, like Anila Hayes and people like that are actually going to be more valuable. Because imagine like 20, 30 years from now, Nyla Hayes no longer makes those long neckies. And she was, I think she's the first woman that did a PFP project and she was 12 and she's African-American and she's the first artist resident for Time Magazine. A lot of those things, the historic value of something like that is going to be extremely high later when she doesn't offer some of these things anymore. So and there are other artists like that too. So I think David Bianchi is one of those people too, that at some point like in history, but it could be 20, 30 years from now, you know, that when either, you know, he doesn't make any work anymore or he gets even bigger, those pieces will become worth more. So I think the one-of-one artists I'm very inspired by really the most because they are really leading the space. And I want to make sure we don't forget that it's the creators, it's the creatives that are really helping us have this moment. And I think we need to, for a little while, we got away from that. I think the bear market is kind of self-correcting that too. I think you are right on that front. And just very inspired by what you've been discussing here with us today uh, on many different levels and really looking forward to the opportunity to collaborate going forward, NFTLA and beyond, man. So, So thanks for sharing that. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA, Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. 
Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale, model of yacht, or actual yacht. We wanted to shift gears a little bit, though, and get to know you a little bit better. It's a segment that we call Edge Quick Hitters, and there's 10 questions. We like to you know, do single word or fewer responses to them, but we might dive a little bit deeper here or there. Okay. You ready to jump in? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, Rob. Question number one. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? The first thing I remember purchasing in my life was a video game, Street Fighter, because I, I love Street Fighter. So that's the first thing I remember. It was the first kind of fighting game I got into. Nice. You got Sub-Zero oh, over here yeah. on the... Uh... You can... That's, that's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that too, though. <laughs> I did enjoy some Street Fighter in my day as well. Oh, did you? But I love Mortal Kombat. I remember Mortal Kombat too. Like, I remember... Yeah. So really quick story. I'll be very, very quick. Sure. So I used to just play, and this is going to age me, in arcades. People are like, what the fuck is an arcade? Sorry, can I cuss on this? No, no, me too, man. Me too, man. Good, good. All right, all right, good. And so when I played in these arcades, I would stand and I would like just play and compete. And then there hardly anybody would be able to beat me. So I'd be there for hours just playing and playing. That's how much of a gamer I was. I was like that with Mortal Kombat, too. My favorite character, by the way, on Mortal Kombat was Scorpion. Get over here if you remember that. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice, man. Yeah. No, Josh's uh, screen name was uh, Sub-Zero in, oh, his okay. gaming, in his gaming days. So, okay. Question two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? The first thing I ever sold were actually tickets to an event. So I was... Um, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the first thing. Um, my mother was having a fundraiser in an event for her actually restaurant she was opening. So the first thing I remember is that. That's the first thing I sold. I wanted nice. to say my mother was having a family party and I made my relatives buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been smart. <laughs> I love that. What was the type of food that your mom was cooking up? Oh, a Caribbean. It's still good. I, I miss it. It was called mm. a taste of Sherry's. My mother's name is Sherry. And so my grandfather was born in 1903. And so his father was actually a slave. And so he was one of those folks. He wasn't a slave all his life. He was. He came off of a boat from the Caribbean. It was tricked and became a slave for a period of time. But anyway, mm. a lot of the roots that we come to are Caribbean where Cuban and also Jamaican. It's a combination of that food, that that tradition. And my grandfather was a cook and actually was a chef during the Great Depression. He always could provide for his family. And during the Great Depression, he was a chef. And so my mother wasn't alive then. My grandfather was a Rolling Stone. I'm really getting down, but he had like 24 kids, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) But the point is she was inspired by him. He was a hard worker, entrepreneur, and had all types of obstacles, but never let that stop him from providing a way for his family. Beautiful. Wow, absolutely. And I'm getting very hungry. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Yeah, me too. 
Question number three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? The most recent thing I purchased was a flight to San Diego, actually. Yes. Super solid. Yeah. Question number four. What's the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I sold was a badass bear. I'll count that. Hey, that does count. Absolutely. (laughs) That's great. Question five. What's your most prized possession? My most prized possession is my health and my family's health. That's what I prize the most. Love it. Question six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service, and experience is currently for sale, what would it be? You know, I saw this question in advance. I thought about it. I had to think about that a little bit. I would buy either an island, and I saw a Caribbean island for sale, or somewhere with beachfront properties. One of my goals to have beachfront property because I really enjoy the beach. It puts me at ease. So I definitely mm. want to. I want a place I can get away that I own. So that's in the bucket list. That's going to happen. I love it. Where do you go shopping for your private islands? Just curious. Oh, I just Googled. I found places you can shop for private islands. Oh, damn, there's Googled. this website. I got obsessed with it for a while. I haven't been on there. Wow. It's literally called Private Islands Online. Yeah, I think that might be it. So, you know, maybe we'll go and fracture ownership. And since this is yeah. Web3, we could just, we can all buy, buy our I'm own in. island and just go in together. I don't know. Okay. got me in. We're in. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Okay, great. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? It would be faith. Like you got to be able to not focus on things where they are now, but where they can be. And I think the greatest limitation is the mind, right? When you get into the situation where you don't think you can do it because others tell you, or you haven't gotten there yet, it's having faith can, can do a lot. And, but if you don't have the right mindset, it's impossible to do anything. You still got to do the work, but if you don't have the mindset, you'll never get to doing the work. Yeah, perfectly stated, I think. Have you guys heard of this test-taking effect called the Obama effect? Did you have the, you okay. heard of this? No, I got to hear this. Uh, no, I haven't heard this. So there's this effect called, I believe they call it confirmation bias. Yes. And so when you have a student take a test, but just before they take the test, there's a little questionnaire and ask them to check off what race they are. Yeah. Minorities will perform more poorly on the test. I believe that. Just from checking that box, you know, and the yeah. theory of it is all of a sudden it gets them all these stories in their head about how that's going to make them yeah. do worse. And I, but it's just this, their heads gets cluttered with that and then they can't focus, right? I mean, all of that, there's stories, they're not stories, there's actual observations and I can't remember the exact school, but literally the teachers, all they did is separate students. They told these students, okay, you are extremely special. You've taken this test and it shows that you have special ability. They didn't. They had nothing. But what happened is over the course of a few years, they came back and all these students did extremely well. The only Mm. difference, the only difference is that teachers told these students that they had the special ability based on this. So that tells you how important it is to uh, the words that we say to people matter. Mm. The environment that you create matters. And that does affect how you think in your mindset a lot. And so, but that ability to try to overcome that, despite having that, is not easy to do, by the way. But that's the reason why I say that's a trade I would pass on because I think it would cause the most transformative effect. For yeah, sure. And just to clarify, the Obama effect was the inverse of that. It was they did testing of students after Obama was elected. Yeah. And the same kind of type of student that performed more poorly, the effect went away after Obama was elected. Yeah. Ostensibly because of that type of inspiration and opening of the mindset, you know, of what's possible. Really, it was fascinating. I'm sure that's true. Wow. The same thing happened with, I'm sure when Kennedy was elected, when other people were like, when you see someone and you've been discriminated against and you've been told that you're not worthy, when you see someone that is you rise to the heights of power, 
suddenly you realize that there is no limitation, even though there never was, seeing it changes the mindset. Hmm. Powerful stuff, guys. Question eight, flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Oh, man, this is a fun one. I would say lack of patience because you also, especially when it comes to dealing with difficult things and difficult people, because losing your patience doesn't help. And Mm -hmm. I'm working on that skill, but I would love to be more patient. The other thing is I'm a horrible singer, so I wish I could sing. So (laughs) not my singing traits. There you go. Okay. Two for one. These are my answers, man. I haven't answered these (laughs) questions, but those are my answers. You stole them from me. (laughs) Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was answering emails and calls. Me, same thing you guys are probably doing. Yeah. And I did a little prep for the podcast, but I was mostly just answering calls and things like that. away. Yeah, it is. Last one, question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I'm actually going to go cook. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I think Caribbean's on the menu tonight, man. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> Plantains, plantains. Would it? Yeah. A little bit yeah, of that. No, yeah. Oh, actually, that man. sounds good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should do some plantains. Nice. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'll have all that, but it's going to be stir fried chicken tonight. That's what we're making. Nice. It looks like we might have a bonus question here as well. I don't know, Josh or Ethan, if you guys would like looks to. Looks like have Josh put that here. one on the yeah, list. Josh, yeah, why don't you deliver that? Honest, Josh. I was just curious. I mean, I know you sold a badass bear, but I know you've got more. So I'm just kind of curious what your favorite badass bear is in your own wallet and why. Oh, that's actually a good question. I like the badass bears with the spaceship helmet. I think those are kind of cool. I just genuinely like that one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite one. And I think the panda one with the spaceship, because there's several different types of bears you can create. When you go on the site, you can choose your type of bear. You can choose your type of background. And I think there's one more and I can't, your type of shirt that you want. You can do that. Nice. Rob, thanks so much. We appreciate it. That's Edge Quick Hitters. Thanks for sharing. And I think we have a special hot topic to dive into. Ethan, you want to jump in? Yeah, let's hit it. So today's sponsored hot topic features Rick Farman of Superfest. We're getting all our fests out of our system today. Rick co-founded Superfly in 1997 and became one of the creators behind iconic music festivals like Bonnaroo and Outside Lands. After spending two years inspired by and participating in Web3, the time has come for him to see if the space can enable his career-long dream to have a community build a festival from the ground up. So Rick, welcome to Edge of NFT. I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. For sure. Yeah, man. I mean, like we've been talking the whole show about building community in the physical world, and you've been doing it your whole life through festivals. And this is the first year for NFTLA, first year for Midwest Con. And it sounds like it's going to be the first year for Superfest. Would love to sort of learn more about what your upcoming festival field trip looks like and how you decided to pull this off. Yeah, great. So as you guys mentioned, I've been producing festivals of all different types for over 25 years. And one of the things that I've really always wanted to do was kind of reverse engineer the way it usually works, which is that, you know, we plan everything as producers. We hire all the talent and get the venue set up and figure out what the ticket price is and all that kind of stuff behind the curtain. And then we put it out into the world with the hope that anybody cares about it. And we've had success doing that. We've had failure doing that, everything in between. And, you know, in general, there's a good reason that things work that way. 
But as I've been absorbing a lot of what's going on in Web3 as an investor and a participant, it you know, dawned on me that we could actually do things a different way. We can actually start with building a community of people who are inspired festival fans, who love experiences, who come to that stuff because the community is just as important as the art being presented and the relationship with the artist is something that they strive for a deeper connection with. And that we could actually start with that community and start building that community and start with artists who are like-minded and create hopefully what's a little bit better than just a transactional relationship between the artists, the fans, the people who are actually coming to the event and using their funds to power it, and producers like myself. And so that's really what the mission of Superfest is. It's fun. That's beautiful. And I think when we talk about our event, we always talk about co-creation because whether or not there's a payment occurring for any member participant in this space, like fundamentally by you're voting with your dollars on what you want to create in the world anyway. So why not open it up to your fans as real? Because they're already stakeholders, right? Yes, yeah, totally right. I've always thought it's sort of a little weird in a way that we use all of the fans' funds, their ticket sales, right, to program in ways that we think are right, not the reverse of listening and getting information and really making those people part of the process of what the end result is. And so we hope by doing that, it actually creates a context for an even better artistic experience. In other words, that not all the decisions are being made based on, okay, well, are people going to buy tickets to this particular lineup in this particular place? But more coming from a standpoint of, all right, what is it that we as a community want to build and sort of self-fulfill that prophecy of what an event can and should be for a community? That's really cool. That's That's very cool. That reminds me of the history of media. You know what I mean? It's like, we've been growing out of this (laughs) idea of like, okay, it's on the radio. You want to listen to it? This is what's on the radio. We put it there, right? Yeah. And now we have so much more freedom. Rob, I heard you kind of, you know, interjecting yeah. here. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm curious. You bring up so many great points. Can you give us like a practical example, if you're able to at this point, about how you see fans, you know, specifically co-creating with you for the festival, with the musicians, with the producer? I don't know if you've had any thoughts about how that would work in terms of your co-creation with the fans who are holders of your community. Yeah. So the baseline stuff is sort of the where and when and what of it, right? And we're going to be basically having the community help advise and form all of those top line things. And so, you know, we formed a couple different groups. Obviously, we have our super pass holders. That's our token, right? And so to participate in that conversation, you buy a super pass and you join that. We also simultaneously created both an industry and artist founder token that kind of sits at the same level as the fans. And so we've brought in, you know, I think right now we're up to 30 or 40 artists across music and visual arts and a whole bunch of industry people who have expressed interest in participating in kind of web three projects like this to come together and basically submit proposals for things that they would like to have happen. Best way to think about this in some contexts is things that are sort of live at the creative level Obviously, there's a lot of the operational stuff and the budgeting stuff that we as producers will need to sort of be a go-between between Mm. what the dreams of the community are, what the practical realities are of that, and how we need to interface with the industry, 
right? Because there are some aspects of the way this is set up. As an example, artist payments, right? We're not going to be having people vote on what artists get paid, right? That's going to be our <laughs> job yeah. as producers to sort of take a budget that the community decides on for artists and say, okay, well, here's how we're going to use that budget in a way that you know comports with sort of industry norms and things like that, right? Yeah. But when you think about sort of how the budget is split up, we can engage in that capacity, location, timing, all of those things. One level above that, I would say, is just from a creative standpoint, is things like theme, right? Mm. Uh, what do we want each year to be the creative context by which artists show up at this experience and that they contribute to it? Because again, what I said before is the case just for artists alike. We don't want that relationship to be transactional either, right? It's not just, yeah. you know, here come and play to get paid X, Y, and Z, and that's it. It's no, no, we're, we're creating a context for collaboration with our community, with other artists. We're creating a, you know, a context to do something creatively unique and different. And so the community can set the context for a lot of those things. And I think theme's a good example of one that's easy for people to get their minds around. Great. I can only, you know, I almost can foresee, right? You know, when you give a community a chance to say something, they come up with those out of bounds things <laughs> where you'd be like, what? Okay. And then it's almost like a challenge for the event organizers to implement it. Yeah. Like uh, some slip and slide action or something. <laughs> well, it reminds me, we it was back during NFTMYC back in 2021. I think it was back in November, 2021. We ended up at this event. I think it was Creature World. And you know, this guy who probably, I don't think he had ever planned an event ever in his life before. <laughs> I don't know how much his community had a say in what was going on, but I rented out this giant theater in New York City and basically had bouncy houses that were adult sized bouncy houses, right? So, and, you know, you could run and jump through and they had a line you could circulate through, just kind of be in like giant adult sized bouncy houses. But it's kind of stuff like that, right? Where, where when the audience has a say, they go, let's do it. It's crazy enough. Let's just, we want you to try and make that happen. And, and you kind of have fun then, I suppose, you know, with that challenge yeah. and doing something new and interesting. It was yeah, uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, Danny Cole. That was Danny Cole. Danny right? Cole. Yeah. World. yeah. He's been around, he's been doing it. And the community treasury, like, so how does that work? Like people being able to access it and how do you deploy, you know, capital from it? Like what's that interaction with the community like? Yeah, so this is a recent announcement we made to decide to take uh, 80% actually of the funds from our mint and direct them specifically to a community treasury where any of that money being spent will have to be a voted on proposal that uh, gets a majority of token holders, voting token holders to approve that proposal. And so there's a variety of different things that we already know the community is interested in doing. One program that we set up as kind of an initial you know, uh, walk before you can run type of thing is a program called Field Trip. And uh, Field Trip's about our community members going to scope out other events together to get some ideas for what we want to create together. This is something that comes from a long history at Superfly, my company, uh, both us as founders going to lots of events all over the world, and also having a stipend at our business where, you know, members of our team could apply and say, hey, I really want to go to this event because nobody at the company's been to it. And we think it's a good thing to kind of get our eyes on and learn from. And so we wanted to extend that same type of program to you know, our token holders with the idea that they see something out there that they think is valuable to building this experience, they could go do that. And they make a proposal to the treasury and say, hey, it's going to cost me you know, $1,000 to go to this thing. 
And I think it's valuable for X, Y, and Z. And then people would vote on that. And so that's sort of the walking stuff, right? As we get kind of deeper into the process, you could think of all sorts of things that a community says, you know what? We want to give out free coffee each morning at the festival. All right. And so we think that would be a really cool thing to do that everybody gets free coffee and donuts in the morning. And so here's what it's going to cost us to do it. Here's the team members, community members are going to support actually instituting this. They're willing to put their time and money in, into it. And we're asking the community treasury to approve X amount of thousands of dollars to you know, do that free coffee and donuts at the festival. Community votes on it, gets a majority of the votes. That's where the money goes to. It's that simple. Pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds Very a lot more cool. fun than my condo association. <laughs> <laughs> no field trips in that pipeline. Not a bad context, by the way, of how to do some things too. Maybe we'll learn some stuff. I hadn't thought of condo associations as a, <laughs> as a uh, proxy, but maybe I should. Don't think of my condo association. I'm done with that group. Don't think of any condo association. That's not a good yeah. proxy. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff has run a pretty efficient condo association meeting in his day. I got a few. I got a few I've been involved with, but now I think I think Superfest is where it's at. I got a bonus question for Rick. I think this is going to be interesting. It looks like you have, is that a record collection behind you or like a map? Yeah. What, what is that? Uh-huh. Look at that. Tell us, man. Give us like a favorite from that. That looks like a very interesting record collection. It's a combination of my wife and mine's record collection. My okay. wife's is actually much stronger than mine. Yeah. Okay. There's some great stuff in there. I mean, what would you put on if we were hanging out, just chilling in that that room with you right there? Let's pick out. I'm just going to pick out a random one. Okay. Yeah. What you got? What do you got? What comes in? Ooh, Harry Belafonte. Belafonte. All right. Belafonte at Carnegie Hall. At Carnegie Hall. Keep holding that up for one sec for the viewer so we can spotlight it. Belafonte at Carnegie Hall. Beautiful. I love it. A Caribbean-based artist. Like, it was meant to the universe. I was just going to say. (laughs) And that... My mother played that Belafonte at all of her at the restaurant all the time. And so I know Belafonte, I'm a big fan because I have to be. So this is just wild. Oh, right, we, got, we got very diverse music tastes in our house. You know, my wife actually grew up kind of around the record business. Her dad's on a record label for 40 years. And is a, wow. like wow. amazing encyclopedia of music. And obviously it's, you know, very tied to my world and life. And so a lot of different types of music being listened to in this house on a regular basis. I have one more bonus question. I'm sorry. This is very quick. Yeah. So collecting records is obviously something that came back that people thought wasn't going to be a thing. And it's now a huge thing, right? I'm curious if you see any type of intersection between NFTs and record collection when it comes to music in some ways. Do you see there being any type of opportunity for intersection there? Just a thought. Yeah, great question, Rob. It's actually very poignant because it's what made me understand music NFTs. I was having a moment of just like not computing in my mind of sort of the relevance of music NFTs. And I started to see how people were collecting them and talking about them. And it started to remind me of the second wave, what you're talking about, Rob, of the vinyl resurgence, right? Why are people buying a vinyl, you know, record of an artist that's on Spotify? When you can, you're a Spotify subscriber, you can listen to it all, but you still buy the vinyl. Why? It's because you want that collector's piece. You want that thing that's a little limited edition. And I think most people connect when they buy a piece of merch from an artist that it's more directly the money is going to the artist. There's not 10 middlemen in between. Exactly. Right. And so I think that's a very similar construct. 
and music NFTs. And by the way, something that Superfest has started to do actually as a group is start one of the things we're you know likely to use some of our treasury for, and we've started to do it previously, is to start buying music NFTs of some of the artists that are in or we want to be a part of our community to show that support and show that connection to them. And so I think what is really cool about this sort of NFT product as it relates to this is that you can do all sorts of really creative things that maybe vinyl pressing limited your ability to make, you know, only 50 of one copy or 10 special ones of out of a thousand that are randomly distributed or things like that. So I think there's all sorts of mechanics and flexibility that NFTs allow, but give people the same feel as, you know, especially people who are digitally native, who sort of really understand and, you know, see the value in digital ownership. I think there's a lot of things there that, you know, NFTs enable music NFTs to, you know, have uh, really interesting product forms and types. And that's something, you know, we're going to be working on a lot at Superfest. One other just quick thing to say about Superfest and what real way to sort of contextualize it it's not just about putting on a singular event. Superfest is something that's going to be going on year-round 24-7. If you go into our Discord right now, you'll see pretty regularly their performances in our Discord of up-and-coming artists who are going into our Discord where there's 10,000 people to perform for that audience and get feedback and engage with that audience. That is the festival unto itself. Superfest is a global community already. It's a community that's decentralized, and a lot of what we're doing is going to be decentralized. Yes, we're going to have a gathering where everybody comes together and has that IRL opportunity, but that's not ultimately what it's about. It's about forming a community of people who want to espouse and express the values and the benefits of what you get from a community of people who love you know, festivals and who love music and arts and things like that. And so that's really what we're doing. And we'll be using a lot of things like you know, music NFTs and things like that to tie the community together. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. So. I'll rein it in is when you get another podcast host on your on your show and somebody a little bit right brain like me, we get off the rails a little bit. But next, <laughs> we're going to transition to our next segment in a minute here. Was there anything we want to yeah. share how people can find out more Ethan, about you, Rick? Josh, and everybody wants you? to lead the transitions these days. I just wanted to, I just got to say real quick, we want to make sure that people know where to go, Rick, on your side to follow you, man. And we can direct people for their interests who maybe aren't as familiar with uh, Superfest as we know are. Yeah, well, first off, our website and Twitter handle is all, you know, using the same Superfest name, which is Superfest with a three instead of the E. So S-U-P-E-R-F-3-S-T dot X-Y-Z is the website and at Superfest with the three is the Twitter handle. Hop in there. You'll see everything you need to know. You can get your links to Discord and, and everything else. And we're currently still minting just for, I believe, another few days. We're about to close our mint out form our founder community and move on to the next phase of the project. So anybody who's interested in joining now is the time to do it. There'll be no really other opportunity to buy a founder pass except on the secondary market come to close. Yeah, don't miss out. This is just a small glimpse, I think, into what the future holds for these guys. Really awesome, Rick. And we are going to have a little giveaway also. We'll get the details posted out Mm -hmm. on our socials. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be something really special. And yeah, man, hey, look, we really appreciate you joining all right. Awesome, guys. Rick, I love to stay in touch too, Rick. I'll make sure the intro is made. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. All right, brother. Talk soon. All right. So yeah, next segment here, it's really near and dear to our heart. It's a relatively new one on the show, but it's a section that is built for giving some love, giving some shout outs to people in our orbits. 
that make a difference for us. And so we want to turn the floor over to Rob to share some really impactful people in his life. Yeah, I have three shout outs. Jessica Greenwald with uh, Vader NFT has been a great friend. So we've known each other for a year, which is like 10 years in Web3 time. David Bianchi, who I've known for about 18 months, which is like 20 years in this Web3 time. And Tal Navarro, which I've known her for about 14 or 15 months. So again, we're going on like 15 years. So all three of them have been very impactful. And it's been one of those examples that you you never know what connection really makes the big difference. So you just go out, be intentional and see what happens. There it is, man. Much love. And uh, yet David is somebody that is in our orbit in a number of different ways as well. So we can appreciate all that energy that he brings. So Rob, you know, before we close out this episode, of course, we got to make sure folks know where to follow you and all the projects that you're working on, man. So let's get that out to them. Well, everything centers on disrupt art. Disrupt.art is the center of all things that we're talking about. So you can definitely go there and see everything that we're doing. So all socials, disrupt art or disrupt.art, you can find it there. We also, of course, have a conference we do now every year annually. That's MidwestCon.live. And we're going to be back next year. And then we have our major PFP project, our NFT project that's focused on social impact, which is Badass Bears, spelled B-A-D-A-Z-Bears.com. That's the project with Jim Jones. And the utility we talked about is the build a bear and the social impact and doing some stuff with some art and music as well. So those are the three things, but it all centers on Disrupt Art. You can literally find everything that's going on at Disrupt Art on our site for sure. So follow Disrupt Art, y'all. The, yeah, uh, Disrupt keep Art. Keep track of all the things we're doing. We'll be doing stuff at Art Basel, many other things. And, you know, yeah. oh, I think at FTLA too, it sounds like. So we're going to do a lot of things. For sure. And big announcement coming up at Art Basel. So we're keeping an eye out for that one as well, right? Yes, sir. Lastly, we wanted to mention a very generous giveaway yes. with two flow, well, actually two flow giveaways for 110 flow each. Yes. And five badass bears. Any yeah. other background on that you want to share, Rob? Well, I'll just say, so the flow, well, obviously you'll sign up on the website and then once you get a block to a wallet, which is easy to do, people think like it's not Ethereum, it's not, yes, I'm not anti-Ethereum, by the way, I'm just pro everything. And this is an easy way to get some tokens that are, you know, I believe on the rise, not financial advice, but we want you to be a part of the system, see how easy it is to collect in this space. And, you know, maybe you get excited and and grab some good art with us too. So there it is. So keep an eye on our socials. We'll yeah, be all the, the badass details. bears very quickly. Yeah. Get on there. And that gets you access to VIP access to our events. So, and it also, uh, you also be able to build your own bear. We're going to do some stuff with Jim Jones and some other VIP events and you get it free. The normal price is 150 us. So it's pretty good. Beautiful. Yeah. Very good. We appreciate that. Very generous, Rob. And yeah, again, keep your eyes out on our socials. We'll give you all the details to win these bad boys. Okay. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.